chapter 1 for the message this evening. 2 Peter chapter 1. Was it? I thought that was a baby. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was you, Victoria. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. How did we get the precious faith that we have? Through the righteousness of God and the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what our faith is in. God's righteousness. God's recognition that sin cannot be forgiven. It must be paid for. And His recognition that if we have to pay for it, we'll be in hell for all of eternity. And so God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus paid for our sin so that we could experience heaven for all of eternity. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need peace in your life Ooh, wouldn't that be sweet? You know, a little less stress, a little less confusion, a little less panic. That comes through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, our Lord. As we read His Word and as we learn more and more about His Word... Our faith is increased because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And so if we stay in the Word, then our faith is increased. This morning I I talked in the message about Jehoshaphat and the fact that Jehoshaphat got involved with King Ahab and liked to lost his life over it. I mean... The, the Assyrian soldiers had been told, take out the king. But they were only to take out Ahab. And Jehoshaphat's up there dressing his royal garments. And all the charioteers start charging him. And, and, and he's up there, whoa, 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 I'm not Ahab, I'm not Ahab. You know, Woo, not me, not me, not me. Well, let me tell you another story about King Jehoshaphat. The city of Jerusalem was attacked one time. Things did not look well, did not look good at all for the city. And Jehoshaphat didn't have any army. And so he began to pray, and he said, God, what do we do? And God said, get the choir together. Jehoshaphat said, what? God said, get the choir together, and I'll show you what I can do. Jehoshaphat got the choir together. Not every church has a choir, see? But a choir helps lead people in worship. Music is designed 
to cause our hearts to worship God, to focus on God. There's a lot of music that does the exact opposite from that. Okay, Country and Western music lets you know that you can't trust a woman. She'll leave you. She'll take your dog. She'll run off with your best friend. And the only, the only friend you're going to have in the whole world is that bottle in front of you. Well, that's crazy. Okay? I like playing country music backwards. You know, where your dog comes home, your wife comes back, and your truck gets fixed. That's just, that's beautiful music. Music is designed to cause our hearts to worship God. That's why I like having a choir. Sometimes the choir here at Keith Heights looks like a quintet. <laughs> I love it when the choir is full because the, the voices blending together just lift my heart and my spirit in praise and worship to God. Jehoshaphat said, okay, God. He got the choir together. Now, they had a choir because they had a temple. Okay, they had a place where they met for worship. And when the, choir, when, the, when the people met for worship, then the choir met. And they sang the psalms, which, which led the people in worship to God. And they get up there on top of the hill, on the side of the hill, gets the choir all laid out there. And this huge army is coming after coming towards Jerusalem. choir's up here, and they begin singing praise to God. And when they begin singing praise to God, the soldiers of the opposing army who are coming uh, from the north and east, approaching the city of Jerusalem, start getting really nervous. I mean, it's kind of like you pick a fight with somebody because you think you can beat them, and turns out... They're not scared of you at all. You know? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Draw a line in the dirt. Step over that line. I used to do that quite often because they stepped over the line. They were on my side. <laughs> we take on somebody else. <laughs> but uh, but, but you, I, no fear. When I was taking karate and participating in karate tournaments... Uh, you get out there, and uh, you would bow to the judge very solemnly, and you'd bow to your opponent, and the judge, the referee or judge, whatever they want, whatever they call him at the time, would signal for the fight to start, and I'd step back and grin. Why? Because I didn't know if I was going to get beat or not, but I knew I was going to get in my licks. You know, it was not all going to be one-sided. And uh, I fought this guy one time, and I grinned at him, and he stopped. He said, what are you smiling about? I said, I rarely ever fight guys with your belt ranking. I always fight guys with higher belt ranking than you. And I did, because the guys with the higher belt ranking have more control, and they don't hurt you. <laughs> you fight these newcomers. Man, they don't know how to control their punches and kicks, and they will hurt you. And so when I said that, he got really nervous. You know, 
Well, here's Jehoshaphat. He's got his choir out there, and they start singing. And the opposing army, somebody steps on somebody's foot or somebody says something uh, to offend somebody else, and all of a sudden they are involved in this big battle with each other. I mean, they are fighting each other. And Jehoshaphat's choir just sits up there and sings, and all the people act like they're at the football game. Uh, they're just up there cheering, yay, yay, go. <laughs> you know, and, and God wins the battle for them. Things like that not only increase my faith, it wants me to draw close, it causes me to want to draw closer to God because I like things from his, his perspective. You know, you have a better view. You tend to see things more clearly from God's clubhouse seating or whatever it's called, you know? You see the big picture. That's why when someone is rude or ugly to me, the first verse I try to remember is, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. They're not angry with me. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness in high places and the rulers of this world. Hey, it's demonic. And I happen to be on the winning side. I have a Savior who commands Satan and he has to... Well, he doesn't have to obey because he's not obedient, but he is restricted in what he can do. God sets boundaries for him. And that's just, that's just wonderful. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. This word virtue is the word excellence. Okay? He's called us to glory and to excellence. That's the kind of life I'd like to live. How about you? How would you like to live an excellent life? So that everything you do, God says, Hey, that's my boy. You know? That that girl's mine. You can tell by the way she lives. She's mine. Whereby are given unto us this, this, these things that he's given us by his divine power that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, because we get to know him. Because of that, we are, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. I can live like Jesus. And in fact, I'm going to live with Jesus. Right now, he lives with me. One of these days, I'm going to live with him. These are exceeding great and precious promises. Do you realize that Peter writes that the earth is going to melt with a fervent heat? It's all going to be burned up. I mean, just the whole surface, gone. 
The Scripture says quite clearly that the day's going to come when if you don't have the mark of the beast in the back of your hand or on your forehead, you will not be able to buy or sell anything. They've already got the technology. They've worked it out. You put your, all your information on a little RFID chip. It's about the size of a grain of rice, and they slide it under your skin, either in your forehead, back of your hand. You go in to get something, and they run it under the scanner. They know how much money is in your bank account, whether or not you can afford to buy anything. They know your medical history, what kind of meds you need, what kind of prescriptions you've got, all that on that little chip. You say, Brother Casey, does that scare you? No. But wait a minute. The Scripture says that the people who take that, they're going to, that's going to be the mark of the beast, and those people will not ever go to heaven. That's true. It does say that. Okay? So why aren't you worried? I'll tell you why I'm not worried. I'm not going to be here. Okay. When the hurricane hit New York, came up the East Coast and destroyed New York, Hurricane Sandy. Okay. When did they get named one Hurricane Wind? Because it wasn't just the sand; it was the wind and the water that got them. Okay. When it came up the East Coast, I didn't get all upset. I didn't go hide in my basement. I didn't crawl under the bed, cover up my head. Why? I wasn't there. I'm not worried about what the Scripture says is going to happen on the earth during the tribulation period because I'm not going to be here. I have these great, exceeding, and precious promises. I'm just trusting God to keep His Word. God's always kept His Word. God is always going to keep His Word. I can rest in that. I can go to bed at night and sleep peacefully, knowing that whatever happens during the night, God is going to work out for good, because I love Him, and He called me according to His purpose. It may be something bad. God doesn't say everything's going to be good. It might be something really bad, but God's going to work it out for my good. He promised. That's all introduction. Let's get to the message. Whereby are given unto us these exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. What faith? Oh, your faith to believe God. It's the word diligence I want us to look at for a minute. It's the Greek word spude. Okay? Spude. There's a lot of people who say things today that make me, that remind me of Greek words. Okay? For example, people say, sup. Okay? Well, there are some Greek words that sound very similar to that. The word, who uh, that? Wow. The word spude reminds me of the word speed because that's what it means. Haste. Make haste. 
Give all diligence. Make haste to add to your faith. Excellence. Virtue. There's that word again. Excellence. And to virtue, add knowledge. What do you mean, add knowledge? Well, I can go ahead and tell you right now. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I've been studying scriptures for a number of years. Okay? Some years more than others. And I don't know it all yet. Okay? Sometimes people ask me questions about the Bible, and I have to say, I'll have to get back to you on that. (laughs) i got to look that up. One of the things I like about the computer age is it doesn't take me near as long to look it up as it used to. But I want to add to my faith this, this excellence in living, excellent lifestyle. And I want to add to that knowledge about the Word of God and about the God of the Word. I want to know both the written Word and the living Word. And so, I mean, I want to add to my excellence, my virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, I'll add self-control. Okay? Because the more I know, the less apt I will be to just lose control. Fly off the handle. Okay? Go berserk. Freak out. All those things. And in fact, other than my demonstration in the service several months ago, it's been years since I've been worried enough to run in circles, scream and shout. I just haven't been worried or in doubt. And when you're worried or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. It doesn't help the situation any, but it makes you feel good. Okay? Makes people laugh at you, but they're laughing anyhow on the inside. <coughs> you just prompting them to laugh on the outside. And so, we want to add to our knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, or temperance, we want to add patience. When Jamie was about three years old, we began trying to teach him about patience. Because he, like his dad, wanted everything now. You know? Now, you know about the guy who prayed, Lord, give me patience right now? (laughs) That didn't happen. Tribulation works patience. And tribulation takes time. We want to add to our self-control patience. And to patience, godliness. Let me ask you a question. This is not a rhetorical question. It's not a trick question either. I want you to think about it and tell me, when is the last time you heard somebody say about someone else, that is a godly man or that is a godly woman? Somebody tell me. Anybody heard it lately? Yeah. About me? Oh, wow. See, you can fool some of the people some of the time. Godly. 
That just proves my point. (laughs) Seriously. I used to hear that all the time. People say that about Mr. Tripp. Othel Tripp. And about Mr. Smetzer. And about Mrs. Delph Lucas. And about Miss Pearl Lucas. I like Miss Pearl Lucas because she would give you hamburgers for breakfast if you wanted them. That's godly. <laughs> oh. Nobody, you don't hear that much anymore. Why? Is it because we haven't added to our patience godliness? To godliness, we want to add Philadelphia. That's the Greek word here. Not the city. The actual Philadelphia. Philos means love and Delphia is brother. Brotherly love. Here it's translated brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. What do you know about brotherly kindness? Well, if you have a brother like mine, you know a lot about it. Because he's always kind. Whatever I need, I call. Randy, what can I do for you? What do you need? But he's not just talking about your brother or your sister. He's talking about members in the church. Just loving people like they were family. See? And so, you may not be as far along as you ought to be in faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness. But if you're part of this church, you'd probably come a long way in brotherly kindness. That's cool. And to brotherly kindness, charity. What's charity? Love. Actually, it's not. It's a demonstration of love, though. Okay? It's how people know you love them. Charity is love in action. Okay? Love you can put on a, on a piece of paper. Dear so-and-so, I love you. Do you love me? Check yes or no. Okay? But charity is demonstrating that love. For my wife's birthday, I almost never bring her flowers. I usually try to buy her jewelry or something like that. And she can't have a lot of candy anymore, so don't do that. Birthdays, anniversaries, that sort of thing. But if there's no special days coming up anywhere around, I'll stop and buy flowers. Okay? Last time I did it was about three months ago, and the girls at the flower shop said, uh, said, what's the occasion? And I said, I'm smarter than she is. And they said, what? I said, I'm buying my wife flowers just to prove that I'm smarter than she is. They said, how can you say that? I said, I got her. Look what she got. Okay? Obviously, I'm smarter than she is. And so I took them to her. And I put on the card, thank you for loving me. I love you. Actually, I didn't write, I love you. I put three little dots. That's our I love you thing since before we ever got married. You see, there's three dots in a Christian's marriage. The one at the top is God, 
And one on one side is the husband, one on the other side is the wife. And the only way for them to grow closer together is to draw closer and closer to God. And as you get closer and closer to God, you do get closer and closer to each other. Okay? Somebody told me the other day that uh, a man I know had left his wife and was getting a divorce. He'd had all he could take of her. And I thought, ooh, he's not near as close to God as he used to be either. Why is that? How do you know that, Brother Casey? Well, because years ago, he made a promise that he was going to love her. Made a promise to God that he was going to love her and cherish her and honor her every day of her life. Obviously, he died. He, he lied. Okay? And so, he's not drawn closer to God. Anyhow, we adopted that. And sometimes we put little flower petals around it, you know. Sometimes little stars, whatever. But if there's three of them, it means I love you. In fact, the other day we were riding in the car, and uh, she was sitting next to me. Uh, I don't remember who was driving. Somebody, somebody else was driving. We were in the back. And, uh, and uh, she reached over on my arm and tapped it. One, two, three. And I looked at her and I said, I love you too. That's just cool. Charity is love in action. For if these things be in you and abound. Now, they may already be in you. They just may not be abounding yet. Okay? They need to abound. If they be in you and, and they abound, they will make you that ye neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have these things in your life, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? Means you'll know a lot about it? No. That's not what it means at all. Run to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, wait a minute. If I was crucified, how am I alive? Okay? That verse is saying that I was there when he died. All of my sin was placed on him when he died. So, I actually am crucified to sin in Christ. With Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I left out part of the verse. The part I left out says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. That's what he's talking about here. If these things be in you, you'll not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will know what Jesus is doing in and through you. In fact, you'll wake up in the morning and say, Okay, Lord, good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What are our plans for today? 
What do you want to do today? I'd like to go along. And, and if you if you got some, some work to do, I'd like to be involved in it. Okay? I know you don't need me. I just like helping you. Okay? I just like being involved. You will have this knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, lack what things? All these things he's talking about. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. He can't see what's going on around him. He can't see afar off like when Jesus is coming back. And, and after Jesus comes back. And what we're going to be doing with him in the millennial kingdom as we rule and reign as priests and kings of God. He cannot see afar off, and he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. When you got saved, God forgave all that stuff, and you became a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so all of that sin of the past has been removed from us been taken away and we don't have to live that way anymore but if we don't grow in knowledge we don't grow in virtue we don't grow in self-control or patience or godliness or brotherly kindness or love in action charity then we not only will be unfruitful and barren but we'll be blind and we will have forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. Wherefore, if you see a wherefore, you've got to see what it's there for. Wherefore, the rather, brethren. Wherefore, don't let that be true in your life. Wherefore, take the other side, brethren. Give diligence. And what's the word diligence again? Speed. Make haste to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Is he talking about falling from grace? No, of course not. What's he talking about? He's talking about falling from our place of responsibility as servants of God, as children of God. Becoming blind barren, and unfruitful. Okay? If you ever see Lou Sardo driving down the highway and Jesus hadn't come back yet, you let me know so I can stay off the road. Okay? It's not her fault she's blind, but she is blind. And I tease her about it a lot. She teases me back. Fortunately, she can't see me, so she didn't know how big I am, or she'd be more specific in her teasing. <laughs> but, uh, but she's the one who told me a message that doesn't have to be everlasting to still be eternal. <laughs> and, uh, and she has heard me preach. But, uh, but here we are. Make your calling and election sure. What has God called you to do? You say, what, Brother Casey? I don't think he's called me to do anything. 
not, I mean, that's wrong. Go back to Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So he has called you. If you're a child of God, he has called you according to his purpose. He has a purpose for you. He has something he wants you to do. And if you happen to be working in a particular place, then right now your position is to serve as the missionary of God to that place. As the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in that place. You say, but Brother Casey, I'm at home. Good. Then God has given you a position of responsibility to bring glory and honor to Him in your home. Boy, you don't know how many homes don't have that. So perhaps God wants you to start inviting friends and neighbors into your home. So they can see what a godly home looks like. Our little girl talking, not a little girl, she's a grown woman. Got, got kids of her own. But she was talking about how the fact that when she, was, when she was a child, her family was in total chaos all the time. Her father drank. Her mother drank. Her dad worked, but... There never was enough money, and and she had friends. She had a friend from school who would invite her to their house. And she said it was the only stable thing in her life. When she went to their house, they loved her. They took care of her. They fed her. They treated her like their own. She said, in fact, they even took me on vacation with them. Okay? And she said, I'm a Christian today because of their influence. Because it wasn't in my family. Wow. You don't hear that very much. We have these incredible opportunities to demonstrate the love of God. The faith, virtue, knowledge, patience, self-control, brotherly kindness. And love and not be unfruitful. So, what do we do? We walk out of here with a new determination. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm not really going to live for Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus live his life through me. I'm just going to be yielded and obedient to him. Let him do it. So let's bow our heads together. In the quietness of this moment, the quietness of your own heart, you make that commitment to God. Father, I would like to come to you tonight and commit our church, our, our complete congregation, the body of Christ in this place, to demonstrate to this community who Jesus Christ our Lord is that they might have the knowledge of Him because of us. We will give you all the praise and all the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name and for His sake, Amen.